This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. I will say that I went to bed Sunday night uh, disgusted with the officiating in the league and the inability to get crucial calls right at the end of games. They obviously miss a obvious pass interference penalty against the Packers uh, on a deep ball from Patrick Mahomes to Marquez Valdez Scantling. And it, it was just so blatantly obvious. It's hard to miss that. That comes after they called the Packers for unnecessary roughness. Now, there is a distinction here. It wasn't a late hit. It was unnecessary roughness, which there is a, a, uh, important distinction there in basically ruling that while he may have hit him in bounds, he hit him too hard in bounds. Another call that in the crucial stages of a game, it's like, come on, like, what are we doing here? And then there was another one where the Packers had uh chiefs receiver. I think it was MBS again, wrapped up in bounds. And yet, they allowed the clock to stop with Marquez Valdez scandling after his forward progress had been stopped, lunging to the sideline, getting the ball out of bounds. So, um, well, I don't know. Did you did you take that away from the officiating of that Sunday night game? Because there was a handful of calls throughout the day, and those three in the late stages of a big game, it was just like, whoa, this is this is. I, I agree, uh, yeah, but I also don't want to take away from what the Packers accomplished no. because I didn't expect two different discussions. Yeah, I think there are because they're, they're you know Packers certainly have improved at a, at a level to to a level I didn't expect them to get to this year. Um, right. The officiating has been a chronic problem that I, that I think that is too wildly inconsistent to even uh you know that deserves its own podcast you know that deserves yeah. its own uh seminar but but i think if, if we stick to the packers i i, I wonder this because I came into this season and i was doubting like a lot of people jordan love or maybe just disbelieving that the packers could actually get it right three times in a row at the quarterback position and i submit you this according to uh i think it's next gen stats this was Jordan Love's fourth game of 2023 with three-plus passing TDs and no interceptions, tying him with Brock Purdy for the most games in the NFL. Love is the fifth quarterback in the Super Bowl era to have four such games in his first 13 starts. So somebody tweeted at me in light of that statistic, hey, Ha, who would you rather have, Justin Fields or Jordan Love? It's not the first time we've been posed that question, but it is the first time that I think maybe – the answer was maybe easier to come by than than it was previously because Jordan Love has done in 13 games what I didn't think he could do, but he started to remove the doubt, Dan. Well, started to, right? And we all know what this league is about. It's about doing it on a regular basis over a long period of time. And and so Jordan Love's got a long way to go to clear into that that zone where you are making all your plans centered around him being your quarterback for the long haul. That said, if the Bears had a stretch where a quarterback threw three touchdown passes and no interceptions four times in a 13-game span, there would be massive parades here. You know what I mean? And there's still a sentiment that, oh, Jordan Love is uh, middle of the road, which he might be. And that's kind of where, where I stand. And yet he's accomplishing things that your own quarterbacks are not accomplishing. And so um, it leads me back to, to your previous question about some of the things I learned from watching other games over the weekend. Uh, I'll start with Thursday night even and and the way Dak Prescott is playing, you know, and, and you see things from the quarterback position where you go, boy, that's 
not something we watch on a regular basis here in Chicago. I fast forward to that really, really entertaining 49ers-Eagles game on Sunday afternoon. And even though Jalen Hurts and the Eagles got whacked in that game, you watch him play the position and you've watched him over a, a series of high-profile games against good opponents the last three weeks play with a feel that is just so admirable. And a, a year ago around this time, the Eagles were coming to Chicago to play the Bears, and the talk was, well, look, Jalen Hurts doesn't run like Justin Fields runs, which he doesn't. He doesn't have that that type of explosive speed and and you know home run power that 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 Justin Fields has. He doesn't have the the same arm strength that Justin Fields has. Doesn't throw as pretty of a deep ball. No, he doesn't. You're absolutely right. And, and so, a year ago, the thought was, well, Justin has all these physical tools that Jalen Hurts doesn't have. And the thing that everyone kind of overlooked was the feel for the position, the ability to react gracefully to the game. And you watch that in some of these other quarterbacks that are either top tier or second tier. And you go, God, like there's just something about that that is so refreshing to watch and and watch these quarterbacks who understand how to see it, feel it and react to it. That's something we have to keep our eyes on with Justin over these last five weeks, because it's going to be a big point of discussion for sure. It is something that you kind of know it when you see it. And I, I don't know that we have seen it consistently enough from Justin Fields to remove that doubt. I think you're starting to see that more regularly from Jordan Love, which puts him, you know, maybe ahead of where some people some critics thought he would be at this stage of his career and, and first year as a starter. You know, you, you mentioned the guys that we, we, you know, Dak Prescott Thursday night, the game in Philadelphia on Sunday. You're talking about Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. Those are the three best quarterbacks in the NFC this year. Right, no question. And, and the thing is that so you start to look at, OK, what what did they do? What do they have that you think is unreachable here in Chicago with the Bears? I don't know that if you look at it in those terms, like, okay, Dak Prescott has been around for a while, but he's had ups and downs. No question. Big ups J- and downs. Jalen Hurts has the benefit of, of having grown on a job and been surrounded by tremendous offensive and defensive lines, good coaching and, and weaponry that went they went out and get. Brock Purdy is just plopped into the right spot. Uh, and that team is is had as much to do with his growth as his individual uh, ability. So I, I guess what I, what I go back to, I don't believe that I would, you know, amplify this too too loudly as, but or or believe this too strongly. But you do start to wonder because it's football, strange things happen. How far away the, are the Bears if they get that defense <laughs> fixed and if they have that offensive line set and they added a couple of what they added DJ Moore and they add another weapon. Maybe the quarterback is the thing that's holding them back the most. And if you do either get Justin Fields to get to the point where he's as consistent as some of these other guys, or maybe or maybe this is the more likely scenario, you replace him with somebody who is capable of lifting everybody around him as well. And you have the pieces in place. Maybe the Bears aren't as far away from being a competitive team in the NFC North as we thought. Well, so that was the other part of the question that I wanted to address because you talked about the pack and I talk about the pack and I talked about it on the, the Bernstein and home show with, with Dan and, and Layla Rahimi. And you look at this NFC and you look at these teams, I'm going to rattle them off for you that are either six and six or five and seven. That's what I would define as the pack. Three of these teams are currently inside the playoff picture. The Atlanta Falcons leading the uh, South at six and six, Mm -hmm. the Vikings and the Packers in position to take those last two wildcard slots at six and six. Mm -hmm. Also in that mix, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Saints. Okay. So that's the mix. 
And that mix is not that far away from where the bears are mm-hmm. currently. That is also not the target zone. And so I, I, I always reflect back on 2020 and uh, what I call the seventh seed seduction with the expansion of the playoffs and, and the bears fighting till the end to steal that seventh seed. And then. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Winning that wild card berth in a way that gave people inside the organization belief that they were a legitimate playoff team when we knew that they weren't, that they had only benefited from expanded NFL playoffs that awards mediocrity more than it ever has. And so my worry is in trying to reach the pack and then treating that as a desirable destination when getting close to annually competing for championships is 300 miles away. Now, look, that's the next stop for the Bears. They've got to get there. They've got to get closer. they got to get competitive. They are making strides in that direction. But I also just caution against the idea that, oh, we're, we're, we're close to being in that that weird mix of teams that's just mediocre enough to, to stay in the playoff race until the end of the season. It's a good distinction to make because I think it speaks to how you define success. And I've always been one that probably – too quickly looks at uh, the parity in the league and finds that irresistible. And then you just want to be good enough to get in the tournament or you just want to be good enough to win a division or sneak in the playoffs. And once you're there, anything can happen. When I, when I wonder if that's a great approach to being, you know, a productive franchise and maybe, you know, profitable and everyone in the NFL is profitable, but, but you know what I mean? It's like you can just seduce yourself <clears throat> and fool yourself into thinking that that's good enough. And I think what's happened at Hallis Hall over the years of, of struggle, right. uh, that that's become, well, almost to the, akin to what, you know, franchises like the Chiefs and the Patriots and, you know, maybe even like the 49ers, that's getting Eagles. to the middle of the pack and the Eagles. Yeah, that's a good example. The, getting to the middle pack for the Bears is like getting to the Super Bowl for those franchises. And it's got to change the. You got to change the mindset, I think, to be able to sustain success. But that's a lot, and that's a lot to expect. So I, I wonder, I do wonder what what the approach will be after this season. Will they convince themselves that, boy, you look, you rattled off seven teams right now that are in the hunt, and the Bears <laughs> can convince themselves, delude themselves, maybe into thinking they're two plays away from being in the hunt because because they are. Play, well, yeah, one play against the Broncos, one play against the Lions. They're six and six, and we're sitting here an entirely different conversation. But is that sustainable, and is that even legitimate? I don't know. That, that, that's a, an entirely valid point, and I think probably the best way to sum up what you said there is good, good enough can no longer be good enough for the people at House Hall, right? We need to be aiming higher. We need to be aiming for bigger goals, and it's not just to sneak into the playoffs every once in a while and, and say, ah, we did it. Uh, it's to become one of these teams that's that's annually in the mix, become one of these teams that's constantly competing for division championships and then trying to make long runs in January and doing it over and over and over again. And you named off a handful of teams that are in the process of doing that. And so you've got an opportunity now here, again, to take a, a wide lens reasoned look at the state of your organization. You have a team president still in his first year on the job with a general manager finishing his second season on the job with a chance to, to spend a bye week in early December and, and, and reflect 
on what is the state of this football team and what does it need to be and how do we take the steps to get there? We have talked forever about where this thing can go, where it might go, where it maybe should go, and it's going to be just entirely fascinating to see which direction those two men, Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles, decide that this thing should go. And that hopefully we're getting answers soon. You know, we're within, uh, 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 you know, five weeks of the end of the regular season. And at that point, there's a lot of decisions and explanations that come due.